Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Alan. And I'm Katie, and we're still married. You know what else we are? We're tired. tired. <laughs> hey, wait. We did not plan that, guys. We're so tired. Why are we tired, Katie? Tell them about the last couple days. Oh my gosh. So my brother had a, a wedding this last weekend, and it has been nonstop family fun. Oh, it's been great. This isn't it's bad been, tired. It's yeah, been good it's tired. Been awesome tired. It's just that exhausting tired when you've put on a wedding and then everyone's in town, so you hang out till all hours of the night yeah. talking and then you kind of crash and then you have to start a work day. And that's how it was for us to, today. So That's right. You have enough time to play one board game and you choose one you've never played. And, and then it's it really hard on your head because you have to think of these new game mechanics and whatnot uh it was fun it was a good good weekend you know what else was fun hmm. the weekend before that was our saint george meetup that's right it was we had a really good turnout just under 40 people i believe yeah and it was our most diverse group we had about did we have any minorities no no I mean, I was the minority, probably. Katie's half and everyone else was white. Um, (laughs) We don't want to say that, because maybe there was someone that had something that we don't don't know about. I don't see race. I only see Americans. When I say diverse, I mean that it was pretty split, 50-50, men who have um, transitioned out versus women who... Uh, had trans- transitioned out and in the last couple of meetups we had we would have like maybe like two women three women at most in each group but this one was was more diverse so i thought yeah. that was really cool great yeah. people it was fun it was a it was a fun night we really like doing it <clears throat> if you were at that saint george meetup and you notice that my hair is black oh my gosh you guys. it's because of halloween it's people, not because I'm having a midlife crisis. People, someone asked me if Alan was having a midlife crisis, and it's because his hair is because I jet black. It's my hair is oriental black. Is that it was the name of the dye that I yeah. Used. Don't be offended. That was the literal name of the dye on the box. Yeah, oriental black. Uh, I am having a midlife crisis, but the hair color has nothing to do with it. Wait, is this part of your midlife crisis? What? The hair? No, like the faith transition. Well, I'm sure. It's like, like I bet 75% of the people listening to this are all within five years of age of each other. So what is my faith crisis, or not faith crisis, but like what is my... Disneyland. What? Disneyland and s- spending money and going on trips. No, that's not... That's not You'll that's get not there. my midlife crisis. You'll get that's there. That's just something I always like to do. I'm ready for your crisis and I'll support you through it, whatever oh. it is. Oh, it's going to be... I'm scared. <laughs> so everybody knows this is also one of the episodes that we will not edit at all. We don't have time. I have got to release this tonight because I'm going on a business trip tomorrow. So there will be no edits of ums. Uh, we have to be very careful. It's as though we're recording live because we don't want to mess it up. We're professionals. We got this, right? <laughs> professionals. Right. Just so, kidding. hey, before we get into uh, the topic of the day, which is multiple topics... Um, what about this giveaway that we're planning, honey? So we are going to be giving away our favorite books for mixed faith couples. It includes Bridges. It includes, uh, the Mormon Millennial. Next Mormons Next by Jenna Mormons Reese. by Jenna Reese. Yeah. Some I mean, books by Natasha Helfer Parker. Right. There's, there's quite a, a good list of books. And so... 
hey, uh, we are going to send out a questionnaire. It's It'll just be like in a Google Doc form, and we're just trying to get some information. So if you'll fill one of those out, you'll be entered in to win. And we'll probably do a giveaway every single day for five or six or seven or ten days. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and I, well, the way I picture it, and I, we haven't really talked about this, but when we pick a winner, um, I think they should be able to pick which book they want based on what we're giving away. Oh, that's a good that's a good idea. So when you win, whatever is still in the supply to give away, you get to choose. Or we'll just give what them, you would like. Yeah, we'll give you a list and you we'll can, give you a list and you can pick from you the can list. pick from that list. Yeah. So that's coming up. Um, we have meetups next year, so we're not going to worry about talking about those right now. Yeah, we're not going to have a meetup in in December. We do have something coming up this Sunday. It is the Thrive. Uh, conference for those that are going to be at Thrive, Katie and I will be there. We are trying to work out babysitting, so we're not sure exactly how long uh, we'll be there, but we're hoping to be able to be there the whole day. We're pretty confident we'll be able to do that. By the way, uh, John asked me to be the host of the karaoke at night, so that'll be fun. You want to sing something with me? Uh, I don't know if we'll have a babysitter, so <laughs> see if I'll even be there. We'll see if it works out. All right, should we move on to the topic of the day? Sure. We have not done a an episode like this in quite some time, but the first time we did it, we really enjoyed it, so we decided to do a little Q&A. And before we get to the A's, to your Q's, we want to start with that ever-present disclaimer that we just kind of aren't professionals. We're not mental health professionals. We aren't even life coaches. Um we have a little bit of experience and we've talked to a lot of people. And so whatever we talk about here uh, is our experience and what has worked or not worked for us. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Anything else you would add to that? No. No? Okay. So why don't we get to our first question? How do you blow off steam when you are really upset with your spouse, no matter what the issue is? How long do you have, quote, space before you resolve it? Well, this is an easy answer for us because we're never upset with each other. Next question. <laughs> Why don't you speak for, for you, Katie? What what kind of space do you need when things get a little bit testy? I have to have like someone to talk it out with. So I have a good friend, and she lives in my neighborhood, and she has literally been through all of it. And I'll say, hey, I need to go for a walk tonight. And we'll go walk for like two hours and she'll just let me, like, get it all out. And lately, it's been cold outside. And so I'm like, hey, do you want to go with me to Target? And so then we, like, do laps at Target and, you know, look and and I get it all out. And then Alan knows me. I can't, like, immediately say how I feel about something. I have to process it. And then after I feel like it's I've taken, like, my time to process it and I want to talk about it, I'll bring it up. But mm-hmm. he, you're good about giving me my space to just let me bring it up when I feel like I'm I'm ready to talk about it. Right. That's I think that's been a learned that's been a muscle I've had to flex because my natural reaction is to I got to fix this, I got to fix this, I got to fix this, I got to push, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, don't shut down, you got to talk to me. And now I'm like, you know what? You're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. You're clearly not ready to talk, so I'm going to back off. I'm going to acknowledge that something's going on, but 
when you want to talk to me, you'll come and talk to me. And I think that's been less stressful for me too. That's not the case though with you. I think you just tell me. I usually just tell you, yeah. Or I give very passive aggressive behaviors to let you know that I'm upset. And then when you finally ask, okay, what's going on? I'll be like, well, let me tell you. I don't hide my emotions well at no, all. No, I can always tell. And I'm glad that I like that about myself, I guess. I don't like hiding emotions. I think it's a way to mental breakdown. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I don't know. It, it, Matt, obviously, I mean, to answer the question directly, it, it matters what the issue is, but, um, how do you like to blow off steam? You like to talk it out with I a like friend? I like to talk it out with walk a friend. And I like to walk it out. And I like to. Just, like, sit in silence and have time to, like, process. Yeah. I, I for me, I, I like to either work out. I love to work out. Today, I was feeling a little stressed. had nothing to do with you. But I was feeling stressed. And so I, got, I stopped working about 30 minutes early, and I went and raked leaves in the backyard. Uh, or I play a video game. Those are my kind we of We did two do athletes. mini golf. Mini- and then we went and played mini golf. <laughs> that was so stress-free to corral four kids doing mini golf. By the way, one of my kids hit me in the sh- in the waist and the hip with a ball because he was swinging so hard. Little doofus. Anyway, uh, all right, that's the end of the first question. Okay, I'll, I'll um, read the second question. How do you deal with your spouse and kids hearing from the pulpit common phrases like, quote, those that have left the church are lost, deceived, and no longer glow, unquote. Especially how do you deal with the way they internalize that and are anxious and scared about what will happen to the family unit and specifically to the non-believer after this life? Mm. That's a good question, and we had an experience with this. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it yesterday? Sure. Yeah, so after church, um, I go to the first hour, and I came home, and... Uh, Katie came home with the kids a little later after that. I was putting together some nachos, Tostitos, medium nacho cheese, best nacho cheese you could buy at any grocery store in America. So anyway, buy those. If you're in New Zealand, I'm sorry, I don't know what, what, what it is. Gina, if you're listening, Nathan, anyway. So I uh, made some nachos. The kids sat around the table and we uh, started talking about, hey, what did you talk about at church today? What did you learn? And our oldest was talking about, oh, we talked about this Sabbath day and keeping the Sabbath day holy. And he he was right off the bat frustrated um, with the checklist style of you can do this, you can't do that. I think that he's seen in our family life that we don't really do that anymore, where if we, we may go to fat cats and go bowling on a Sunday, we've done that in the past. We may go on a hike. We may have the neighbor friend over. So when he hears somebody share with him at church that you shouldn't, it should be a family day and don't play with friends or we don't go out to eat or we shouldn't, you know, go boating on, on a Sunday where that's something we did in the last six weeks or so, then that's that to him. He's like, no, that doesn't make sense. That is, that doesn't work. And then why don't you talk about what our daughter said? Well, no, I was just overhearing the conversation Oh, upstairs yeah. Katie was upstairs. Because I was changing, and then I came downstairs, and I said, what did you say, Jackson? He's like, they're, they today they talked about everything that you can't do on Sunday. And I said, okay, did they talk about anything that you should do on Sunday? He's like, no, it was all, all what you can't do. I 
happen to believe that that's probably not true because he's a teenage boy and whatever. We're all going to hear what we're going to hear. The world's out to get him. That's right. Uh, But I said, I said, well, what do you, what do you think about that? I said, did they mention at all anywhere that it is up for your, up to your family to decide what to do? And he's like, yeah, after they talked about it, they said at the end that it's up to each family to decide. And I said, Jackson, that's what we're doing. Like, we decide what we do as a family. If we decide that we're going to church, which most of the time we do, we go. If we decide to go on a hike or we go visit someone or we go out of town, that's our choice too. And that's totally valid. And that that's up to each individual family. So don't don't worry about the don'ts. Just worry about what we do in our family. And then Zara, I said, Zara, what did you learn today? And she said, oh, you know, that story about being hard-hearted and being soft-hearted. And and I said, really? What, is, what does that mean? And she said, well, hard-hearted means that you don't believe in Jesus. And you, you, you are like mean. You're mean to people. And I said, okay, well, what does soft-hearted mean? And she said, well, you believe in Jesus and you're nice to them. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my gosh. So, so then Alan. I, yeah, I asked her a question. I asked her, well, Zara, do you think someone that doesn't believe in Jesus can be nice to people? And she said, yeah. And I said, do you think that someone that believes in Jesus can be mean to people? And she said, yeah. So I said, I think that. What matters is it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters how you treat people. That's what really matters. It matters how you treat people. You can be nice and not believe something. And I said, and I told her, instead of calling it a hard heart or a soft heart, you call it a loving heart. A loving heart loves people. A loving heart follows Jesus. And so we shouldn't use those two (laughs) examples. So to answer this question, what we have done is we've had to deconstruct some of the things that they, they're listening and they're learning. And I mean, to our son's credit, he is 13 and he recognizes that he does not agree with things that he's being taught. And And he says it. I'm so grateful that we have made him feel safe enough to actually voice that mm-hmm. because he was going to feel this way whether, I mean, he's a very rebellious soul. So he was going <laughs> to feel this way whether we expressed that that was okay or not. Yeah. But because we've made it our house a safe environment for him to express how he feels about that stuff, he's expressing it. I'm much more, I'm a lot happier. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I am happy that he feels like he can express that and know that we're not going to be like, no, you, they're right. You have to believe this and you have to do it this way. And, and what you're saying is you got to be careful. It's a slippery slope. Like he's not getting that pushback. And I think that's great. And so I I think, don't get me wrong. We push back on him on a lot of things that he he doesn't says, but in, on this particular topic, we don't. And so it's, I know that it seems daunting and it seems like it's, it's hard to constantly go over every single little thing your kid hears. It's, it's exhausting. It is. But I think though, because we've done it, just, it's become a habit and, and we do it in a way where it's just conversational and everyone can say what they believe or they don't believe and everyone can give their own opinion. And that's a really, really healthy way for your kids to learn how to disagree in a healthy way. Because there will be disagreements, not just at church, but 
everywhere and in every part of their life. So this is a think of it as a skill that you are teaching them, and um, yeah, that that would that would be my advice. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of aspects of this before we move on to the next question. I think it's a little easier with our age of kids. For sure, they they still listen <laughs> for the most part. Mm-hmm. They they still think that we know more than we actually do <laughs> until they ask Google that. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> that our perspectives actually mean something. And in a few years, maybe we'll, we'll start to lose that. But, um, I think that that makes it a little more challenging for those that have older children that are more, a little more set in their ways. Uh, but I honestly, because of that, I don't feel like the more time that goes on, I've seen the change in our kids in a good way. Mm-hmm. that I don't feel like the message that those that have left the church are lost, deceived, and no longer glow, I don't feel like that's going to stick with them. I don't either. The only thing that message is going to do is push them further away from the church. Like, So if that's the message that the church wants to give, <laughs> you're only going to make it worse for yourself. Uh, the other thing I was going to say... Um, is, no, I was like, that was the last thing I was going to say, was... Uh, the, it's just going to make it worse for them. So it, it's only in their best interest. I honestly, oh no, no. Yeah. There was one more thing. This is where the editing would have come in handy. But the, the, the thing I was going to say is I, I wish it was a little easier to see what the lessons were going to be about. It's not always clear what the lesson is going to be for the adults. I feel like it is, is it now with come follow me? Can you just look it up every yeah, single you week? Can just look it up. And they always follow that type of thing? Yeah, it gives them the date and the schedule. Okay. Which lesson? All right. So, I mean, if if I was really on top of things, I would be looking every single week. The only time that we've proactively decided to say we're not going to go today because of the topic, um, we've only done that once. And where we said we'd rather not have to deal with this. And so we just pulled them out and we went and did something else. Right. All right. Next okay, question. Okay. On to the next one. And this one is, holy cow, we've we've combined a couple of comments um, or questions together in order to talk about this. We were going to have a, an entire episode disc dedicated to this. We probably but, still will. I think it can still have its own episode. But, but we'll just dive right in. Okay. And this is cool because why don't you read the first question? I'll read the second. It's basically the same topic, but... One is from the non-believing side and one is from the believing side. So it's kind of interesting. How do you approach word of wisdom topics with your active believing Mormon spouse, ABM? If I just use that acronym ABM, that's what I mean. Active believing Mormon spouse. Without them believing, you've gone off the deep end. Now, Now that I no longer believe, I would like to have an occasional adult beverage while out with friends in a social setting. I'm a responsible mother of four, but my husband has given me the impression that he believes any level of alcohol consumption will lead to alcoholism. I'm not sure how to even approach the topic without worrying him to death. And then listen to this perspective from the ABM. I have a question about approaching word of wisdom topics from the ABM perspective. I feel supportive with my husband exploring his faith and what he would like to do with his beliefs. But I have a really hard time, not necessarily with the word of wisdom, because I don't have an issue with coffee, to be honest, but with alcohol. I see zero benefit in it. I understand that it is there to help take the edge off, but I guess I have been Mormon for so long that I just get frustrated that he can't turn to healthier options to relax or chill out. I know he would like me to be supportive to the point that I buy him a bottle of wine or something from time to time, 
just like he may buy me a religious book or something, but I have an extremely hard time correlating the two. Religion aside, the effects and potential threat alcohol causes really just terrifies me. Do I have to be supportive of alcohol to be supportive of him just believing differently than me? Oh, these are fully loaded questions. Yeah, okay, how, how did you feel when I read that question about, have you ever felt that about like being wanting to drink socially, but feeling like I'm not supportive, supportive of, that. of that? You know, um, yes, but not with not with the context that you think so. So, yes, but what I'm actually feeling is like, for whatever reason, I still had that TBM or ABM piece in my brain that remembered how serious alcohol was on the believing side. So for me, it was like I, I fully empathized with how dramatic this felt how big of a deal i understood why you wouldn't be as concerned about coffee than you would with alcohol um i mean i had a father who was killed by a drunk driver and so i i i have lived through the consequences of abuse of substances so when so for me and i think we've talked about this in the past and we'll probably have a full episode about it but for me it took it took me a long time to have my first drink, and I wanted that first drink to be with you. In fact, in a previous episode, we talked about the, my first drink being a glass of wine with you in, at the Eiffel Tower. Oh, yeah. I mentioned that. like, And you said, well, that's never going to happen because I'm not going to drink. I'm like, well, then I won't either. Like, But obviously, things change. And when we ended up having, when I ended up having that first drink... Uh, I only, I did that because I felt like you were in a place where that was going to be okay. And I think you were in a place where that was okay. Can you talk to me a little, or talk to the audience listeners a little bit about how you went from my birthday in March of 2018. You remember this at Sawadi? I asked you the question, you know, there's a lot of changes happening with me. What is what are the next changes you're most concerned about? And alcohol was the number one thing you said. I'm really concerned about alcohol. How did you go from that to a year later? You were smiling and hugging me as I had my first drink. Well, that's an exaggeration. I, wa- you I weren't wasn't cheering. smiling I, and I hugging I didn't mean to you. say like you were cheering me on, but you no. were okay with it. You weren't upset. You weren't scared i don't think what how did you get from a to b well i definitely was scared i mean alan mentioned his dad dying by a drunk driver i i like i this (laughs) this response says i just don't see a benefit to drinking like i i feel like you drink enough rock stars (laughs) And other things that I just, it just, I just don't get it. I guess I, I just like, didn't get it. And so alcohol was the number one thing. I was worried that he would go out at nighttime with friends and not spend time with our family, that he would find solace in drinking rather than something that would be healthier for him. 
I was worried about abuse. I was worried about a lot of things, how that would change the dynamic, if we would have alcohol in the home. All of those things, like, really worried me. And just, it was funny because we have a neighbor who is this awesome Catholic family, and they, I mean, they sit out on their porch and they have a drink every night, uh, and, the, you know, they talk to people and and pretty responsibly. But I remember them one night, their son was over at our house, and and I told her, hey, I'm running here. Can I leave the boys home? And she said, yeah, I'm fine with them being there because you don't have booze at your house. <laughs> and I thought, that's a funny thing to say. And then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, huh, that's something that really Alan and I never had to think about or worry about, there being alcohol in the home where like could kids could get into it or you know teenagers budding teenagers could get into it if they were curious or whatever that might look like and so I thought it was cool that she trusted us to let our kids stay there because she knew we didn't have any alcohol in the house not that it would have been a problem but I don't know it just gave me like a different perspective having Alan um I will say this, Alan took a full year before he he had his first drink, and I knew it was something he wanted. It was something that he talked about. It was something that I knew I was scared about, but he gave me just time to to think about it and process it, and maybe it was too much time. Do you feel like you gave yourself too much time to let me just sort of process? No, I, I don't. Like if I've always said, like, if I feel like I need to do something because it's like, hey, this is my personal growth, and not that alcohol is a personal growth thing, but it's that I need to do this because I'm I'm growing, I'm developing, and and I need this. For example, stopping my attendance at church. This no longer works for me. I'm going to stop now. I know that's hard for you, but I'm going to stop. That would be something similar. I never felt like I got to that point. So for me, it was just like, if it's going to be a really hard thing for you and it's not something that I'm really itching to try, I can wait. I can be patient. That's not a big deal. And right. it, ha- it hasn't been a big deal. No. And what, my first drink was in March or April of this year. So it's been seven, eight months. How, how many times have I had a drink since then? I don't even know. I know that you've had, you have a drink or two with like clients. Yeah, I've had a drink or t- and one of them was with you. Like you were there. I was there. Well, they one of the clients offered, like, bought a bottle of wine for the whole table. It was and nasty. They poured, <laughs> poured it for Alan, and Alan just tasted it. And I said, "How is that?" And he said, "It's disgusting." It was my first red wine, and it was gross. And I was, you know, um, secretly very happy that he didn't like it. Isn't that bad? I'll be. I don't pretend. I mean, like, I'll I'll let you know if I like or don't like something. There are certain drinks that I do like. I think since since April or May. When I had my first drink, I've had single-digit drinking experiences. I mean, with your family. Yeah, so we had the karaoke night with my family. We had, and we'll that was a big moment, and we'll we'll get into. I, we do need to have a full alcohol um, episode, but there was that moment. There was the client moment. There was in St. George. I had a drink after after the meetup. I mean, there's been a few experiences, and the funny thing is, is like of the nine or ten times I've had a drink, four or five of them, half of them have been with you. Right. But it's been more private. It hasn't been in like a 
like a bar scene or anything. It's never happened. No, I mean, like, I think that that's a. I think that the picture that many people have of drinking is a college party. Yeah. Like, if you're going to drink, you're going to be with a hundred other people that are right. drinking, and nobody has any control of their actions or what's going to happen, and all these bad things are going to happen because it's this crazy environment. Right. And and now that I've, I see Alan's responsible with how he drinks and how he uses his calories, because he's like, doesn't want to use That's up his calories. That's another thing. It's like it's drinking sugar, he's and I don't want to use my calories on drinks i never have no but because of the way alan is modeling his behavior i no longer have a lot of fear surrounding it and i did before and so Mm -hmm. i think that as a couple you need to you need to have some boundaries if 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 you don't want alcohol you know you want your spouse to be able to have a drink or two but you don't want the alcohol in the house you have to allow space for your spouse to get a drink somewhere talk at about dinner it. or mm-hmm. I mean you got to talk about it and you don't have to immediately agree to something you don't want to see or do I mean, Alan gave me my space to, like, process and think about it. And was I 100% ready for him to take that first drink? No. It's not something I really wanted, but I knew it was something that he had been patient and waited for. And then he was really good about letting me know he wanted that. And so I was willing to oblige. And I think it gets easier the more you... Uh, communicate about it as well as model good behavior. Model good behavior to your spouse that this is something that you can handle and I think you'll be okay. That's what's worked for me. Yeah, that's good. That's a good concise one. We could probably do a 30, 40 minute episode just on this topic, but we'll move on. All right, we did have a question. Will you be at Thrive? We already talked about that. Yes, we will. How does one pray? Oh, you know what? We should talk about the chat group idea with Thrive. I've told you about that, right? Yeah. So we are going to have a chat group for mixed faith marriages during Thrive, particularly for the um, ABM or the believing spouse, uh, where if you're if you're in one of the sessions and it's all one big session, and for whatever reason it gets heavy, and and I do have a lot of trust in the the presenters that they've the the coordinators of the event have said that it's going to be very safe but if it just gets overwhelming for anybody involved we're going to have a chat group up via Facebook to say um, can someone step out with me? This is just too much. And if you don't need someone to step out with, you can just step out. Or if you just need to say, Reverse like, this is really hard. Meeting. This is really hard for me. And you don't need to step out. That's fine. But I've talked with the coordinators of the event and they think it's a good idea. They may even announce it and say like, hey, if you want to join the Marriage on a Tightrope chat group during the conference, here you go. <laughs> um, so just keep an eye open for that. We'll post about it in the Facebook group before Thrive starts. Okay, next question. How does one pray with the family or with the believing spouse when they aren't entirely sure how to start and end the prayer? I still open it and close it in the traditional way, but it makes me a bit uncomfortable. I also have taken to only talking about what I am grateful for and not asking for anything, but am unsure how to end the prayer. 
We have some experience in this. Alan has said uh, a, a number of secular, I call them secular prayers. That's, but a, that's a good title. That's a good title. Okay, yeah. so why don't you give us an example of a prayer you would say? Okay. So um, the general, stru- I'll give you an example, but the general structure is you just jump right into it. You don't need to address it to anybody. That's actually the first few times it's still difficult because you're so, when you're praying, you're so conditioned to pray to someone. We thank you or thee. We thank you for this. We ask you for this. Um, thank you for blah, blah, blah. And bless, we ask you to bless this and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's hard to get that vocabulary out of your system. So uh, for me, I just when I started, I just jumped right into it. And we did this at the first meetup we had in Lehigh where I ended up saying the prayer on the food and maybe everyone silently closed their eyes after I did and said their own so it would be blessed the way that they preferred. But the way that I say it is we are so grateful for this time that we have together today for the food that has been prepared. We're so grateful for everybody that has that has put the time and effort into preparing it. We are thankful that they... You don't have to go into like safe food preparation conditions, but we're grateful that healthy food has been prepared so that it can be of nourishment to our bodies. You you see what I did there (laughs) where it's, you're not asking anyone to bless it, but it's actually taking the biggest, the biggest substitution that I make is instead of asking for blessings, it's either acknowledging that our previous actions are what have blessed us or committing to actions that will bless us in the future. So it's committing to service. We know that there are people in our neighborhood that need help. And we're committing to ourselves in this open prayer. We're committing to ourselves to help them. We are the ones that will be doing the help. We're grateful uh, that Katie has, has prepared this meal with good health in mind. And we're so grateful that it will be a, a strength and nourishment to our bodies. And that's even a very Mormon phrase. It is. <laughs> but if you if you see that, it takes a little bit of effort to to get some of the vocabulary out. But it for me, and I don't do it all the time. Like it's not a regular occurrence. And how how do you end it? I've ended it traditionally in the name of unconditional love, which is a bit hokey, but I I think it's cool. Uh, so yeah, in the name of unconditional love, or in the name of, or we say these things with love, is I think where I've landed. I learned the unconditional love from Leah Young. I heard that from her first, but where I've landed is we say these things with love. Amen. So do you remember the very first time you said that prayer in front of the kids? No. I do. I remember I asked you to pray over the food, and you said one of these prayers. And at the end, when we said amen, Hayden, our 11-year-old, looked up and said, that was a cool prayer, Dad. Oh, really? I don't know. And, <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah, it was something totally different that they hadn't heard before, not the memorized sing-song prayer. And Alan just expressed what he was feeling, and it was, it was a really nice prayer. Cool. Thanks. Hopefully that's helpful, because that's actually something that I think I should do more of. I don't do it as often as I should. Right. It's, it turns into an affirmation type of thing, self-affirmation, positive affirmations, right. which is really... Good for your mental health. It is. All right, next one. The holidays are coming up. What have you changed or kept the same in your Christmas traditions? 
How do you compromise on religious holidays like Christmas and Easter? To go along with this question, how can I, the believing spouse, deal with the holidays knowing that my husband no longer believes in God or Christ? Growing up where that was always been the focus and the reason why we celebrate Christmas, it has been hard in the past to come to terms with this. How does one keep... Oh, is that a separate question? Yeah, that's oh, separate. Okay, so that's it. Uh, so I love this question. I think it depends on what your traditions, what meaning they take on. Some people have traditions where it's very spiritual based. We have traditions that are spiritual and secular based, like most people do. Alan, you don't. Do do you believe Christ was divine? If I had to answer yes or no, I would say no. Okay. How, what do you believe about him, though? Um, I do you believe it, he lived? Yeah, I believe that that he likely existed. I think that the stories that are are written about him likely are a blend of truth and embellishment, and that's okay. That's, that's okay for me. It may be difficult for you to hear that. Or if a sibling or a parent is listening to this, that might be hard for them to hear that, uh, for me to say that about Christ. But what I can say is that more than any other truth claim that I've dismantled or deconstructed over the past three years now, which is crazy. It's almost been that long is the one that's held up is my, my ability. And actually I really like to use the example of Christ in a very LDS sense, the example of Christ in a good way. So the stories of him uh, in the New Testament are all about, in my opinion, um, all about lifting up from the top down. So reaching down and helping the, the lowly, doing service for those that are outcast. Um, that, that, using that example of Christ of constant service is something that I absolutely am on board with which I think is why Christmas isn't a big problem. It hasn't been a big problem for me at all because the way that we have always celebrated Christmas is like service is service. Yeah. It's, it's focusing on that. That's kind of one of the cool blends of when you're, when you're combining the, the pagan rituals with the, with the religious rituals of Christmas, you get the presents and the trees and Santa Claus with Christ and those things mixed together is this cool blend of let's get stuff for people and let's show people how much we love them. Uh, let's do things for other people. It's not always an item, but it can be a service. Uh, I think that's really neat. If it was very, very, very focused on we are only going to focus on the divinity of Christ right now, like that's what we're focusing on, not any of his traits of how he treated people, that might be more difficult for me. But because most of the emphasis is on the service part of it, like, I'm on board with that. That's great. That's great. Okay, so I'm trying to think of the things that we do do that are more spiritual-based. Like, we have, I'm sure all of you have seen it, those stars from Deseret Book. There's like 12 of them, and it says... Um, Messiah, it has names, Redeemer, it has names on the front of the star for Christ. And on the back of it, it has a scripture that goes along with it to describe who Christ is. And then we go through each one and we hang it on the tree. Does something like that bother you? 
No, it, it doesn't bother me. I think that even though I, I don't necessarily believe in the divinity of Christ, um, this particular truth claim, I see that how Christ is used in your personal belief is a very positive thing. It's not, it's Christ isn't used as anything but a symbol of how we should treat people and love people and be positive with people. I also believe he's divine. And that's fine. Like I'm, I'm completely fine with that. If you instead, if you were hanging things on the tree and you said, because of his divinity, we have to listen to every single teaching and, and LGBT people are evil. And let's hang a star that says that love the sin and not the sinner or other way around. Uh, then I would be like, no, that I'm not on board with this teaching of Christ. This isn't the Christ that's going to be helping my family, but that's not how Christ is, is used. I see your Christ and your belief and, and worship of Christ as very much a, a beacon of, of love and a beacon of, uh, I, I point to him on, as my example on how to treat people kindly and with love and with care. So I think that that's probably a big reason why it doesn't, even though I don't be- agree with that, it, it does, it, I don't agree with the divinity aspect of it. I don't have a big problem with that part of, of your beliefs being, being talked about because it's, I see very, very good benefits that come from it. We also play out the nativity every year. Mm-hmm. We have the kids dress up and we... Yeah. Do nativity. That's like a tradition that I love. And that's mostly true, right? I think some of the parts are probably embellished. That's from my perspective. But right. for the most part, like that's the, the, the birth story of Christ. I mean, yeah, I, I believe he was born. So that's fine. And, you know, babies being born is cute. So why not let it be cute and let's act it out. And that doesn't bother me. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. I think that where... <laughs> Where you just you just talk about it and and decide what, even if you I mean like Alan said, he doesn't necessarily believe that Jesus was divine, but he does believe that he's a great example, and so that's kind of what we've just gone off of and what we'll continue to do. I don't think it changes anything for us as far as Christmas goes. One thing that has changed for us in the last couple of years, especially, is the the stuff we don't give the stuff because we absolutely believe in experiences versus material things our our stuff gets broken within six months of giving it to the kids anyway and so we are all about experiences for christmas this year and that has that's changed so we go on trips together we we get ski passes or whatever it may be in order for us to have um, an experience and a memory made. That's something that we've changed uh, maybe like as a secular side to uh, Christmas. But I just feel like it's it's a better gift to give than, than just the stuff. And our kids <laughs> came to us this year and said, we don't want any, we don't want stuff for Christmas. We just want a trip. And we said, okay, so where do you want to go? And they said, somewhere somewhere on a beach, somewhere warm, playing in the beach. So we'll see. 
So we'll see. I think we still have ears listening <laughs> through walls right now, so we're not going to talk about what we we're going to talk do. about what we're going to do. Yeah, but we have something fun planned for them. We sure do. Yeah. Okay. How does one keep active or semi-active in their ward with their family when they no longer believe the truth claims but value the community? This is this is a, actually kind of a tough one for me to answer. I wish I could answer it differently. Because in my own personal experience, I have felt that um, I can't be active and be myself at the same time. So right now I go to sacrament meeting and it's not like the last few months, it hasn't been as hard as it was even in August when we did the whole back to church for a month thing. It hasn't been as hard, but I definitely don't feel part of the community. I really definitely don't in a church setting. I do. I mean, we're in Utah, so our, our neighborhood is, is our ward, just the, the adjoining adjacent streets or whatever, four or five streets wide. And the trunk or treat at Halloween, like I don't feel awkward at all at, at social events at all uh, with our ward. You're, you're kind of an extrovert. I'm though. extremely extroverted. <laughs> and so I think for, there's still a part of me that says, guess what? I'm going to be super social and super charismatic. And, they're going to see that I'm the same person. Like I put forth a little extra effort. Okay, in that. so what's your? I mean, what do you tell those who are introverts, who have a hard time putting themselves out there in front of them? Well, you may not have fit in with your ward in the first place. I mean, the the LDS community and ward community is kind of built for extroverts. So it, I can see why it would be even more difficult if you were an introvert and you left because all of a sudden you're really alone because now you don't want to talk to people and you don't believe the same way as them. So that again, for, for myself, it, it, as an extrovert, like I can't speak up. So I know that for some people being an introvert, is a little easier because they just don't tell their ward how they feel, but my ward knows how I feel. And so I, I, I don't see myself returning to the second hour of church with any consistency ever again, because like that's where I can raise my hand and I will, but I can't in sacrament meeting. So, but even in sacrament meeting, um, it's, I find myself more and more feeling like an outsider and not in a negative way, not in like a, um, boohoo. I'm not part of this community anymore, but more of like a, this is, this is their spiritual event. This is their meeting. This is no longer my meeting. I'm just kind of a you spectator. Say third person? Uh, yeah, it's like I'm going to a, any other denomination. It's more and more feeling like that the more I go. And part of me is like, that's kind of sad. Like, I'm, I'm processing through that. But part of me is grateful for that because it doesn't hurt as much. Um, at church on Sunday, we had some friends and there there uh, are some people in the ward that came back from a mission. And they spoke and... There was one or two moments that I kind of went, but for the most part, it was, it was look at everyone worshiping the way that they want. And then it ended and I left. Has coming back to church with me since you've been back just the first hour, has that 
helped or hindered in your reconstruction of your religious beliefs? Well, I don't have a desire to really reconstruct religious beliefs, spiritual okay. beliefs. M- maybe um, has it mended some of that hurt? Um, like how how do you feel after going from the break, which was nine months, to coming back for the first hour? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think that. I don't know that it's helped in my reconstruction. I think other things have helped more in my reconstruction, my own personal time investment in meditation and Eastern thought and Brene Brown type of messages that that type of thing has helped me reconstruct more than going back to this church has. Like I mentioned, I just feel like, I guess I should just get to the point. Have you felt any good come from going back that first hour? Uh, I mean, it, it helps me, it helps, I like to see a few of the people that are there. It's nice to see people. So it's purely just to see people who are there, who are in the neighborhood that are there. Yeah, the LDS church doesn't do anything for me spiritually. It has a sense of community, and that's what this question is asking, is like, mm-hmm. I don't believe in the truth claims, but I value the community. How can I remain active? Yeah. Basically, the answer is, <laughs> for a while... When you're deconstructing, it's really difficult because most wards aren't cool with you being yourself and being active if you don't believe in the truth claims. So it's once you're through that, I don't know where I'm at right now. I guess I'm semi-active, right? I'm semi-active and it doesn't kill me anymore. It doesn't really hurt anymore. I wouldn't be terribly bothered. I'm not bothered when we miss Sunday. I, I, I don't throw a party because I'm so happy we didn't go to church, but the kids do the kids do. Yeah, that's for sure. But I'm not, I'm not throwing a big party when we don't go. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. For me, it's kind of one of those, it's an hour. I get to see a few people I'd like. So that's kind of cool. But if we don't go like, okay, that's fine. No big deal. Okay. The next question It says, Katie mentioned a Fierce Conversations book she read. I would love to hear what she learned and some tips for mixed faith marriage conversations. Okay, this will be one of the books we'll be giving away during Christmas time. What's the full title and author? I will tell you. It's Fierce Conversations, Achieving Success at Work and in Life, One Conversation at a Time. And it's by Susan Scott. So I got this book because we were going to read it as a group for work, and it has been transforming. Man, she's brought up some things. Yeah, I've brought up a lot of hard things. In fact, I'll read a chapter, and then I'll just say, hey, this is what we're going to talk about right now. What's one of the examples of a, of a topic you brought up? Do you remember? Yes. Moral code. Moral code, which we're going to do an episode when we're ready. When we're ready. This is a hard conversation. This was a a difficult conversation that I was thinking about that I didn't know how to bring up. And then after I read a chapter, I felt like I had the tools to say what I wanted to say. And I did. It's an excellent book. And just a few few things that the book brings up. Uh, One thing it says is, the conversation is the relationship. If you think about relationships with other people, it is the conversations that you have with them that form your relationship. If your conversation is lacking with your spouse, 
that says something about your relationship, just to be totally and completely blunt. Although most people don't like hearing the truth, people appreciate when you level with them, including your spouse, no matter how difficult it is. There are tactful ways to say things, but being truthful and upfront and honest with them will get you much further than just beating around the bush. In fact, here's a quote I love. It says, a careful conversation is a failed conversation because it merely postpones the conversation that wants and needs to take place. I don't know how many times I've carefully stepped around an issue before I finally got to the direct question I just needed to say. And when we finally got there, then I felt like we could resolve things. When I tiptoed around it, it never felt like anything got accomplished in the conversation. Would you say that? That would be right? Yeah, because when things get hard, you tend to to shut down and just Mm -hmm. say, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Yeah. And that's like, he's 100% talking about me. Oh, yeah. I, I shut down and... There are some, there's some like PTSD that I've, I've brought some baggage, I guess, emotional baggage I've brought into our relationship where I felt like I was constantly shut down. And so I just shut down when it, when I, when I knew that my opinions and my ideas didn't matter, I just decided not to respond. And I did that for the first little while in our marriage and through this whole faith transition it's been hard I've just I've shut down many times since reading this book though I have really (laughs) come to realize how important it is to have have um these sit down talks I like that there's it this it says something else it says there's something within us that responds deeply to people who level with us and that includes your spouse you know, you have to be careful, <laughs> I think, um, in life and business and in your marriage of who you surround yourself with. I heard this quote recently that if two people are married and are just alike, then one of you is obsolete. One of oh. you is not needed. And you have a spouse to, like, give it to you straight to keep you in check and to offer positive reinforcement as well as what's the word I'm looking for? Constructive, constructive criticism. criticism. Yeah, that's good. The book I've, I haven't read it yet, but when man, when I see her reading it, I go, Oh boy, here we go. We're going to have a conversation soon. And I actually love that because I love the conversations that we're able to have because that's where the growth happens. Honestly. Yeah. So that's all I'll say about that. I could probably go on and on. I would just highly recommend to read it. And hey, hopefully you'll win it. Ding, ding, ding. Okay, last question. You've been given an elephant that you can't get rid of. (laughs) What do you use it for? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We figured why not? Why not put this one in at the end as as a little fun thing? I would, two things. Can I use it for two things? Okay. Um... I think it'd be cool to like once a week have an elephant shower. Like the oh, elephant. that was going to be mine. Was it? Oh yes. man! Like the elephant, it sprays you down, but it needs to be warm because I'm a wuss with cold water. Like like you see in the movies where the elephant sprays mm. it above you and you're. Yeah. 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 And then also, I would train it to take the garbage cans out every Tuesday night. Mm. I would probably market it 
to take to birthday parties mm. and totally exploit it. Monetize it. <laughs> yeah. Exploit it. P.T. Barnum right here. P.T. Barnum. Right back to the tightrope. That's It comes all back to the greatest showman. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, that's the last question we're going to cover. We're going to do another uh, question episode soon because there were a lot of questions that were covered, or excuse me, that were submitted. But we want to read um, a a question or a post that one of our listeners posted. And then a few days later, she came back with a response that talked about her resolution with this. And I, I thought it was, Katie and I both, we talked about it. We thought it was really good example of um, getting worked up and, and thinking that something is going to go very poorly and then it doesn't. Um, it's kind of one of those hope for the best, prepare for the worst situations. And it seems like this individual was definitely preparing for the worst, but hoping for the best, maybe not. But the best, it seems, happened. So I've pulled up, uh, I asked um, Aubrey if we could read this post, and she said yes. Her full name is Aubrey Bergeson. She said we could use her name. And um, here is here is what she said. I'll read the the post that she posted, and then, Katie, you can read the response. How do you tell your kids you can no longer attend church when you know it will break their hearts? I would love to hear what worked for any of you. I can't in good conscience go anymore. It is wearing on my mental and emotional health, and it's time for me to make the change. How do I tell them? My son is 12. He loves deacons, wants so badly to do what is right. I know this is going to confuse him and be really hard for him. He knows a little of my journey these last five months, but this will hit him hard for sure. My four-year-old will be will just be upset that I'm not there because she loves me more than anything in the world. Ha 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 ha. My husband is still believing and wants the kids to go. He has been so amazing and supportive and just loved me through it. I am so lucky. Hurting the people you love the most is the cruelest part of this whole thing. I hate to play the victim card, but I'm feeling it today. It's okay to play the victim card. It's okay to hurt. The pain is real. We're all there. We feel you. At one one time or another. There was was a lot of good comments, a lot of good advice that was given. And ultimately, she responded with this. So I got all dramatic in my head. And then last night, I was watching some teeny bopper show with him. Totally unscripted. I just told him. I told him I've been having a really hard time at church lately. That things don't feel the same as they used to. And there are a lot of things said that are hard for me to hear. Also that I don't really know what I believe anymore. Because I found out a lot of things I was taught and believed turned out to be different. I told him I still believe in God and divine power and that I love what Jesus taught in his example. That I believe in being a good person and lifting and loving those around you. I told him he could always come to me with questions that I loved him and would never want to do anything to make him sad. That I supported him and dad in what they believe and I'm really proud of the great person he is becoming. He was like, it's fine, mom. Really. It doesn't bother me. It's okay. Ha 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 ha. I'm like, wow, glad I gave myself an ulcer over that and have been crying on and off for days. We have great relationship and we are actually training for a half marathon together right now. He talks to me about girls still, so I think that is a win. I believe I, if I just keep showing up for him in his life, he will trust me and everything will be okay. Thanks for all the comments and for listening. I loved this response. I we had the same freak out moment when we were like, how are we going to tell the kids? Yeah, and then we told them, and it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, 
And I know that this is not everyone else's experience. I know that there are children who are so sensitive to this. But I think the the gold nuggets in here is that she had the conversation with her son and he responded in a positive way, which was great. And it could have gone the other way. But what also she said in here is that he obviously feels good enough and open enough to talk to her about other things, yeah. not just church related. This is the type of conversations, not just religious, but any conversation. This is the type of open communication you want to have with your kids. You want them to be able to tell you anything. Yeah. And in return, you're giving them the respect that they deserve by you telling them how you feel. Yeah. That is that's I feel like that's powerful, you're and that that trust, yeah. you're building trust with them, and that brings it back to the like the very first question we read yeah. in this episode. I love Aubrey how you say at the end. I believe if I just keep showing up for him in his life, he will trust me, and everything will be okay. That is that is our motto right now: is just show up for them, um, show up for everything in their life, and they'll trust you, and they'll. And everything is going to work out. I have no doubt in our in our family that we, as the six of us, it's gonna it's gonna work out. It's gonna all be good, and it's working out currently. So mm-hmm. it's that's great, Aubrey. Thank you for sharing and, and allowing us to use your name a few times uh, in telling your story. We will end it here because we have so many more questions. We'll do a second part. If you have a question, you can a- you can ask us through marriageonatightrope at gmail.com. You can go to our Facebook page and send us a message, or you can respond to the thread that Alan posted on Sunday. You can also go to our Instagram, marriageonatightrope, and send us a message through there. And you know, you don't always have to ask something. If you just want to get your story out and type it out and send it to somebody so you know someone has looked at it, send it to us. Uh, we've had some people share things with us and say, I've never even said this out loud. And then they type it out and they send it. If that's helpful, send it to us. We'd love to read your story. Uh, we can be good listeners or readers in this case. And uh, just know that you're not alone. And we love hearing your stories. And that's really one do. of the benefits of having meetups is we get to hear everyone else's story. And they're so different and they vary in the complexity. But we have one common thread that kind of binds us together and it's what we're going through. And that's what makes it pretty incredible. If you would like to donate to our podcast, we've had a number of you donate through our marriage on a tightrope Venmo account. Thank you so much. That is so appreciated and helps us get content out there and give away free books. So if you would like to donate to us, you can do that there or you can go to org. Yeah. Our website, there's a donate button there and you can set up, you actually can set up a recurring payment if if you would prefer to do it that way as well. Like Katie said, we're very appreciative of those donations and honestly, so far and for the future indefinitely, 100% of what we received has gone straight back into uh, additional content, giveaways, meetups. It's all gone to back into the podcast. And we do it because we love you. We are in this together, everybody. We are. Thanks so much for listening to Marriage on a Tightrope. And we will be back next week with another Tightrope episode.
goodbye. Now I'm the one that made a stupid ending. I was just waiting. I just had to wait it. <laughs> you had to wait it out. You knew I would I knew I fail would. you in saying something stupid. I knew you were going to see that it was better that we grew up together. Tell me you don't want to leave because if change is what you need, you can change right next to me. When you're high, I'll take the lows. You can ebb and I can flow. We'll take it slow and grow as we go.